rookie minicamp done, I've got my guy, John, to break it all down with me. We're going to be talking things like, is Trey Lance proving to be the answer at quarterback and more right after this? Welcome back, everybody, to the channel. We've got a fun one today, and like I said, We've got a lot of OTA talk, a lot of rumor talk, and, I mean, it's the offseason for the 49ers. But first, John, how you doing, my man? Man, I'm pumped. You know, the, the schedule came out. We've we've got stuff to talk about with film, quarterback stuff. That's going to be there all the freaking time with this franchise, no matter what happens. But there's just – it's fun because we have hope, uh, which you should. The 49ers are a really good team. But now you know what the schedule looks like. There's some issues with the schedule. But – the map has been set. The journey that the Niners need to go on to get that next ring, it is laid out. And so this is a good time. Uh, really do enjoy this time. It's a little calm before the storm. But uh, pumped to be here with you today, as always, Rohan. Hey, man, I appreciate your time, and it's going to be a fun one. Always appreciate all the hashtag CCs in the chat, Countdown Chapman. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. John, let's get it started, though. Let's go before we get into the schedule, really look at how the 49ers might earn that sixth Lombardi. Let's look first at OTAs, all the draft kind of stuff. And we got to start with what's on our minds. Kyle Shanahan saying Trey Lance is in his best shape ever. And this is obviously coming after he didn't necessarily deny Mayoko's comments about Sam Darnold being one of the most talented throwers of the football. So... We've got two different storylines at quarterback. What do you make of it? Man, I, I really think that the opportunity is right there for Trey. The only thing that I think could stop that is an early um, Brock Purdy <laughs> emergence from slumber with this injury. Because, you know, my whole thing is, and the 49ers have been huge on this, it's a meritocracy. Whoever earns it is going to be there. We saw it last year with quarterback three when Brock Purdy beat out um, Nate Sudfeld, and they cut Sudfeld despite the $2 million cap hit that they would have, but he got picked up, so that wasn't there, whatever. But you earn your stripes. Now, yeah. the issue is they're not clearly handing the backup job to Trey Lance. So guess what? Sam Darnold is a capable quarterback. He has not been good in the pros. He's had a couple good minor stretches, but even during those stretches, not elite by any stretch. He has been surrounded by terrible franchise, the Jets, then the Panthers now here. Should Sam Darnold flourish? Yes, he should. If there's any system, it's this system, but it's going to be a competition. So I don't really put much stock into this whole, oh, he's a good thrower of the ball or whatever. Yeah, he is. He's a very good thrower of the ball, Sam Darnold. We got to see it. And the only thing that I think is going to stop Trey Lance from starting week one is if Brock Purdy's back healthy. I don't expect that, um, but I think that's really the only thing. And if he loses a competition to Darnold, then so be it. You know, we, that's the way the cookie crumbles, man. I, I think he will win that competition, but Darnold does have a lot more experience. 
No, I agree. And I mean, that's the two different factors, right? Experience, potential, and also the different storylines we hear this offseason. And I mean, obviously, we've heard a lot of posturing towards the 49ers trying to anticipate Sam Darnold to be the quarterback. And it's come from a variety of sources. It's not just one. It's come from a variety of people coming out and talking, play people you don't necessarily expect to at times, and things like that. And so you do truly question... Um, how much Sam Darnold plays into this, but you're right. It seems like both are going to get an opportunity, and at least to begin OTAs, it seems like both are on the path the 49ers want them to be. Mm-hmm. Again, there's a huge question at quarterback, and we'll get to some of the scheduling stuff in a bit, but I do think that right now, it's an interesting situation, understanding both have, it seems like at least impressed early on, leading to a solid competition in the second phase of the offseason. Yeah, and again, I think there's just two there's two separate I don't know, trajectories this could go. The first is Brock Purdy's not back to start week 1, okay? So you have to deal with that, and that's Trey versus Sam, Trey versus Sam. The second path is, okay, let's say Brock Purdy does come back early, you know, you're talking about those dates. We still have not had the very first checkup from his surgery. That's the first week of June. So we're still two weeks away from the very first checkup. Now, everybody could say, oh, he's way ahead of schedule. Guess what? Has not had his first checkup. So all of that is just speculation, conjecture. We don't know. Yeah, we saw the waves. We saw the high fives. He's going through drills with a towel. Not one checkup. So we will know more in two weeks. And if that's when... you. They start coming out, oh, he's ahead of schedule, but they could be ready by training camp, things like that come out, great. Then you go to the other trajectory, and that's now it's a three-quarterback kind of stable, and that's when things could happen. You know, everybody that was pushing this narrative that Trey Lance was going to get traded before the draft, Trey Lance was going to get traded during free agency, Trey Lance was going to get traded during the draft, I just kept saying, man, there's no way because you don't know when Brock's going to be back. Now, once that changes... I still don't believe Trey should be traded. Doesn't mean they won't do it. I want to see what he could do, man. Even if it's for two weeks, I want to see what Trey can do. Um, so I, I'm hoping he gets a chance under center during the regular season. I, I really do. And I'm still betting uh, that Trey Lance will be the starting quarterback week one. I could be wrong, but I think the only thing that could disrupt that again is if Brock Purdy's back and healthy. And I agree with you. Right now, I do think he's the favorite to start week one. And it's not only just us believing it. I mean, we've heard it from Matt Barrows. We've heard it even uh, some sprinkles from Matt Mayoko, right? And you, you, you understand that Kyle Shanahan, it might be the one comment that not a lot of people remember. Kyle Shanahan gave out the timeline. He said yeah. six to eight months. And I mean, the realistic factor might be right in the middle at seven months. And that means that first four weeks or first how many ever weeks um, of the of the season, you don't expect him to be back, even though he'll be practicing by then. And so, yeah, you're going to – it seems likelier than not you see somebody other than Brock Purdy at the helm week one. And this is going to lead me to my next question because it's not only about the quarterbacks, but it's about the environment the 49ers face week one. In the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, the schedule came out. The 49ers have an interesting schedule for sure, and it seems like they've got a couple of winnable games early on their schedule, but they start off on the road 
in an environment like Pittsburgh against a strong defense. How do you feel about that matchup? It's rough, man. I'll just be <laughs> Pittsburgh's just such a great place and great team, great defense, young quarterback, amazing coaches. My number one coach in the NFL is Mike Tomlin. If I could pick a team, pick a coach to start my franchise, Mike Tomlin's number one, even over Shanahan. I got Shanahan top four, but I love me some Mike Tomlin. So this is a rough game. But it's going to be a fun game. We're going to be there, 40 hours rush road trip. We're going to be out there partying and all that stuff beforehand and tailgating all that. But this is a difficult, difficult game. I, I'm doing an episode, man, next week, maybe maybe next couple of days, where I rank the strength of schedule for each one of these games. And, you know, the interesting thing is I have this game in the middle just because the Niners aren't coming off a short week, which they are so many times. Um, so I have this as the seventh, you know, right there in the middle um, game, but it's going to be fun and it could go either way because 49ers start slow, no doubt about that. Uh, yeah, almost every single season besides 2019, but if they could kick this up, start week one with a win, that would kind of that would be a nice, nice, comforting feeling for the 49ers faithful for sure. No, definitely, and I mean, I I think week one's got a lot of implications because if you do start off week one with a comfortable win, <clears throat> uh, excuse me, if you do start off week one with a comfortable win, these provide some, some sort of comfortability because you come back, you face the Rams in an environment that should feel like home. Then you come home and then you face the Giants. And, and, and the point is, you've got the Rams, the Giants, the Cardinals, and the Cowboys. Four straight weeks yeah. of what are essentially home games. And some of those matchups are obviously tough. The Giants and Cowboys being playoff teams last year. But when you look at that first, uh, first stretch, it's really the biggest challenge is you you start on the road at one week one. Not necessarily the opponent itself, but you're starting on the road week one. And so to me, if you can overcome that challenge, if whoever starts week one ends up having a good game because they're under the highest amount of pressure, I think it bodes well for the 49ers. And, I mean, I don't think it's only the quarterback. I think the kicker, a second guy with the highest most pressure right now, in my opinion, would also be under some good pressure week one, especially if it's a, it's a close leverage situation. Yeah, I, I think that's well said. And, you know, it's funny because when the schedule comes out every year, I'm always like, hmm. But we always start out on the road. How much is that, you know, the ownership in Kyle Shanahan saying, hey, we don't want early home games because that sun on the <laughs> – it's just too much to bear the way the stadium's built and all that stuff. And so, like, it makes sense that you start off on the road. Your first home game's Thursday night football. You don't have a home game – with an early kickoff until, good Lord, you've got to go all the way until, man, the Bucks game, I, I think, is the first one. Is that right? Football season may be over, but the action on the floor is heating up. Whether it's tournament season or fight for home playoff court, there's no shortage of high-stakes basketball moments this time of year. Get in on the excitement with Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app, where you can turn your hoops knowledge into serious cash. And PrizePix even offers injury insurance so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players get injured. For basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second, 
that player projection won't count against you, and the rest of your entry stays live. There's lots of bets. Stephen Curry, over 27.5 points. Draymond Green, will he make one three-pointer? Or no? Very easy things to bet. Download the app today and use code 49ers for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, download the Prize Picks app today and use code 49ers for a first deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Um, no, we, we don't have one early. I don't think we have one. Yeah. Yeah, that's the because so, yeah, when we're at home, it'll never I don't think ever be early kickoff. And so people get upset about the, the schedule with the rest and the travel and the five separate trips to the East Coast. Those are correct to be upset about. However, a lot of this should be on ownership. And I, I'm a very big, you know, I, I'm not against the Yorks at all. I think they've done a hell of a job, you know. Post <laughs> once Shanahan showed up, they finally learned their lessons. But there's a big reason why the schedule's the way it is, and it's because the Niners literally petitioned the NFL, don't let us have early home kickoffs because the sun, the way we built our stadium, just sucks. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people don't talk about, but trust me, it's a factor. Zero home early kickoffs, I guarantee I would be willing to bet the farm. We are the only team in the NFL that has that going on. Uh, I would bet everything 31 other teams i would almost guarantee it so even on the road uh do we not have or maybe we have a we lot have a of early kickoffs yeah on the got a east few. coast we've got a few that's a yeah. that's like the worst thing it <laughs> when we play at these tailgates and all this stuff like it's early the good news is the time change so like pittsburgh it's a 10 a.m kickoff here but one there but you've got that, you've got Jacksonville, you've got the Commanders, you have three separate trips to the East Coast with early kickoffs, that's a killer. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, when you look at the schedule, I do want to ask you a couple of things. One, where do you think is, like, a, a series of games maybe where the 49ers are on an advantage, like, somewhat of a breather, and then the opposite. Where what do you think is the toughest series maybe on the slate? The only <laughs> this is this is gonna sound blasphemous. Um I think the only time the 49ers have even a, a smidge <laughs> of advantage is the Philly game. And that's the toughest game on our schedule because How we so? got a mini buy right before that, or you've got the Thursday game. On the road, uh, Thanksgiving against Seattle. Then you've got 11 days, right? Philly has to go Kansas City versus Buffalo, then us. Mm. And so the only advantage that I could see, and it's a small one, is that game. But still, we're flying all the way across, all the way across. Like, there are very few days. And there's a reason, you know, the, the Sharp analytics came out. Warren Sharp does a hell of a job, Sharp football. And... The 49ers have the largest disadvantage, negative 20 rest days compared to everybody else in the NFL. Like, it's not a nice schedule, man. It's not nice. So if you're looking for advantages, you got to you gotta get that magnifying glass out because there's just not that many there. It's not there. No, you're right. Look at the schedule overall. You saw, I think, uh, a week ago where it was posted how the 49ers have the second most travel miles in the NFL, and now you understand why. 
you're going essentially you know how in the past we we've had a couple of games where it's like east coast it, where they stack two games up i don't think there's much of that this year the steelers are on their own uh on on that coast i mean maybe cleveland and minnesota together that's it those that's two it. road games but you have a bye week you go to the jaguars you come back then you go to the link after seattle come back then you go to Washington in week 17 after home game and come back. So it's a good amount of travel. And so for me, when I point out maybe the easiest and toughest slates, it's I, I think, although I don't necessarily know how how the 49ers fare in these four games, I look at the Rams to week two to week five, uh, Rams, Giants, Cardinals, Cowboys, just as some solace understanding that you're at home uh, for, for essentially four games yeah. uh, before the mighty travel. And maybe I'm pointing this out more because I think these are coming in similar to must-win games because the 49ers are always good in the second half of the schedule. I think in this schedule, you might need to be better off in the first half to at least absolve of some um, potential losses that you could face in the second half against some tougher opponents. But like you pointed out, that Eagles uh, game, I think that that is a part of our toughest stretch. When you go Seattle, Philly, Seattle, I think that that's a tough stretch. Because you're going to the link on the road uh, on Thursday in week 12. So it's off a short week. And while you get some extra rest and then the Eagles are facing a tough opponent, it's obviously in the link. Uh, sorry, you're first at Lubenfield, then you're in the link. And so I think that those are two tough games. Then you come back off a of slugfest and you're facing the Seattle Seahawks. You're probably one of your top division opponents this year once again. I, you know, the one thing that I can say again, like we're, you can look at things and it just looks bad because, yeah, that Seattle, Philly, Seattle stretch is terrible. But whenever you look at Philly, they've got a worse slate of games than we do. And it's not even close. They, I mean, again, they go Kansas City, Buffalo, 49ers, Cowboys, Seahawks in a five game stretch. Like that's, that's brutal. Then you look at the Seattle Seahawks. Um, and you know, with us too, they've got Philly 49ers, Dallas, like the, all three of the top teams in the NFC. And I think those are the three top teams, probably, um, you know, whatever order you want to put them in, but you know, 49ers and Eagles, I think are in a tier of their own. And then you have Seattle that a lot of people think close space with the draft. We'll have to see how it plays out, but definitely looks like they did a really good job. Those three teams, and for us, the Niners in the NFC West, you got to put Seattle as number one. Like, I know everybody wants to talk about the Eagles game. I would much rather beat Seattle on the road than I would the Eagles on the road. Like, if, if I if somebody's like, dude, you can win one, I'm taking Seattle win, right? You got to win the division first. Um, we swept them last year, three games. We lost to Philly, but that was a weird game in the NFC Championship. Lost our quarterback, second drive. Um, so, like, I don't know. I know everybody's talking about Philly, and I get it. I don't give a damn about Philly. I really don't. I, I want to win the division. I care about Seattle. Rams are a joke. Cardinals are a joke. I Those Seattle games are everything for me this year. I, I think so, too. I think, yeah, like you said, both both of them are, are vital games. Are vital games. And when you look at the schedule, those are two games where I think it's tough. I don't know if you made a schedule prediction. I haven't done any of those videos yet. But if so, what are you currently thinking for the 49ers? 
you know, Vegas has the 49ers at 10 and a half. That's the over under, right? So 10 or 11 wins is kind of what Vegas sees. We're favored in every game except for the Eagles game. So, you know, technically you should be 16 and one, not how it works. So I think a 12 and five would be pretty accurate. That That's kind of what I'm going for just because there's going to be some of these early kickoff East coast games. Like I don't think the chargers are a good team. I wouldn't be shocked at all if they win that game. The Niners had a huge disadvantage. So you look at the two football teams and you're like, oh man, Niners should blow this game out. But we've had these games in the past, losing to the Colts, losing to the Commanders, losing to Miami when they were bad. Like these type of games happen in the NFL because it's hard to get up for that many weeks in a row, especially when you're at a disadvantage. So just off the top of my head, I'd say 12 and 5. I'd be very happy with that. Uh, I think that wins the division. The NFC is weak. The NFC West is even weaker. So 12 and 5 is my initial reaction. Hey, that's high praise. And I think 12 and 5 probably earns you a, a top two seed in, in the sure. conference. Maybe even the one seed, just based on how uh, this year should go. So yeah, I mean that's a that's a that's a pretty pretty high remark for the 49ers. And I think they'd be happy if they went 12 and five with this slate given to them ahead. Yeah, and again, you got to look. Last year, the number one seed got 14 and three. Niners were the second seed with 13 and four. Minnesota was 13 and four. But I think some of the bad teams in the NFL in the NFC, not named the Arizona Cardinals and Rams, uh, got a lot better. And so I think there's a lot of improvement there, but yeah, 12 and five, that's a good record. It really, really is. 11 and six is a good record. Once you get into that 10 and seven, then it's like, all right, you got to have some things break your way. And it's weird to say that a 10 and seven, 12 and five, that's only two games. But you look at last year for the 49ers, only two games, the entire season were determined by three or less points. Niners blew people out last year. They handled their business, especially late in the year. Can they right. pick up where they left off there? Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest question for sure, right? Can they pick up where they left off? And to start it off, I want to talk about some things that we've seen recently. I mean, we've heard Steve Wilkes talk. We've heard uh, Kyle Shanahan talk. We've heard a, a couple of things about a couple of different players. Let's start it with Drake Jackson. Drake Ooh. Jackson's a guy who, you know, He's a guy who's right now being tasked to do a lot, right? Uh, or at least being tasked to have a bigger role this year. Understanding the 49ers didn't draft a an edge rusher before the fifth round in Robert Beal, which, uh, you know, overall means 49ers right now think Drake Jackson can have a bigger role. It seems like he's projected to start right now. What are you thinking on the Drake Jackson front? After we've heard that, you know, some of the, the weight things – are, are, are looking better than you want. Yeah, weight and strength, right? <laughs> Steve Wilkes was asked what he saw whenever he watched uh, Drake Jackson. And, man, before the question finished, he just goes, inconsistency. <laughs> like, I mean, but it's a rook, and he's a young rook at that. He, he was very young whenever he came in. I think he was drafted at 21. He's 22 now, will be 23 in the upcoming year. So young, athletic, you just got to add strength. In size so that he can, you know, maintain what he brings to the table on a consistent basis. So it, it, I do think Trey Jackson starts week one. I see that. Um, who else would beat him out? Kerry Hyder Jr. maybe. Maybe you could talk Cleveland Farrell. Maybe somebody not on the roster. But for me, 
I think Drake Jackson will be out there early. The good news is there's a lot of guys behind him that you like, but he needs snaps. That's what the Niners need from that second edge spot is quality snaps. Not The sacks won't determine if Drake Jackson has a good second year. That That's not what I care about. Can he get to 600-plus snaps and be consistent without being – you know, a target for the defenses. That's what I want. We need consistency from that because you lost Omenihu. You lost um, the starter that we've had there for back-to-back years with, um, goodness, his name's right there on the edge of my, I, I feel so bad. Came over You're talking the about Abicom? Yes, thank you. Goodness, Rohan for the win. Uh, you lost those guys. So quality snaps is what the Niners need at that spot. Yeah, and I mean, overall, like you said, quality snaps necessary. You look at edge. Right now, I think there are three just 100% guarantees based on contract or whatever that are going to be on the 53. That's Drake Jackson, Nick Bosa, and Cleveland Farrell. Everybody else, I think, is uh, fighting for a spot, and some have a better chance than others, but I don't think there's any more guarantees. And so when you look at that group, I think right now Drake Jackson's got to be slotted in to start, and so that's why it's good when you hear, oh, he's been in the building every day. He has gained a lot of weight. He's looking to improve his game. And so right now it's early in the offseason. You've got a good portion of time. And the 49ers, I mean, obviously they do a lot of things. You can utilize him as a situational pass rusher. You can utilize him in, in multiple different ways. And he's going to get a lot of one-on-one opportunities. You're working alongside Nick Bosa. You're working alongside Javon Kinlaw and Ark Armstead. So I think Drake Jackson, I think there's a lot of opportunity for him. It's just – how do the 40 energy utilize him? And how does he respond now to the 17 game season in an increased role? Yeah, they, it's just consistency, right? Again, what did Wilk say? Inconsistency. You got to be consistent. You got to earn the right to rush the passer. How do you do that? First and second down, you got to stop the run, maintain your gaps. The main reason, like if you go back to the Raiders game last year, which was incredible, overtime, whatever else. A lot of those big plays that Jared Stidham made was because Drake Jackson did not maintain his rush leverage through the gap and allowed the quarterback out of the pocket. Guess what happened right after that game? Healthy scratch there on out. He never played a game again. Um, So, like, if you're looking for a culprit, there's a lot more than just him. But the Niners saw, like, look, man, this dude is makes us vulnerable as a defense. We got to – he's not dressing anymore. Five straight games he was inactive down the playoff stretch. How does he respond? How does he respond? That's what I want to see. No, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. He's one of the guys. Another guy uh, that obviously Steve Wilkes unpromptly mentioned, Javon Kinlaw. Now, we've heard Javon Kinlaw's name come up a couple of times in the offseason about the shape that he's been in, not only this offseason, but also in past offseasons. How much are you buying the hybrid? I'll say this. Managed expectations are so important, okay? And with the Niners and Javon Kinlaw, whatever pressure has been there, that's gone. With the, with the signing of Javon Hargrave, you got Eric Armstead, team captain, Walter Payton, man of the year, three times in a row, nominee, whatever. Like, he just gets to come in and just be a guy. He doesn't have to be the starter. The expectations are bottomed out. Now, he's not going anywhere because it's a guaranteed rookie contract, so you would lose money if you cut him. Like, that's not happening. He just gets to come in and play. 
nothing is put on him as far as he has to manage. You got to be Buckner. No, no, no. You're the number three on a defensive tackle rotation now. We get to kind of see what happens. Hopefully, he balls out and he's amazing human and his work ethic is top notch. His story's amazing. All these things are great about him. You just got to stay healthy, stay healthy. And again, that first half in the NFC Championship was bad film. Outside of that, he didn't put up a lot of bad film. Second half of the NFC Championship played really well. Um, you don't see a lot of those clips on Twitter, so people don't know that. But you go back and you watch the second half of the NFC Championship game against the Eagles. Kinlaw played well. So manage the expectations. He doesn't have to come in and be all-world anything. Just come in and be a role player. Be a run stuffer. And if he can do that... I think he'll be able to get a decent second-year contract with another team. I doubt it's going to be with the Niners, but I, I'm rooting on this kid. I'm rooting on this human. I think that he'll be able to come in and provide very quality snaps. But, again, he doesn't have to be the guy. If he's getting 20 snaps a game, that's perfect for him. Manage the load. Make sure that knee's healthy. That's a huge win. Huge win. 100% agree. He said, manage the load, make sure that needs healthy. Unfortunately, that hasn't been reality for Ken Law this, uh, throughout his career. But the goal isn't looking at the future now for Javon Kinlaw. The goal is just trying to maximize the production you can this year. And he's obviously not going to be placed in no high leverage role. They signed Javon uh, Hargrave for that specific reason. They don't want Javon Kinlaw to start. They want another guy who they believe can be capable of stringing together consistent performances, and Hargrave does that at a high level. He doesn't miss games, man. He plays a lot. No. Him no, and Armstead are like the two Ironmen of defensive tackles in the NFL, which is cool. And, I mean, the 49ers got both, and that's great for a team who normally suffer through a ton of injuries. You know, we've seen them at the defensive line position as well in the past, and so it's a good thing for the 49ers. But Kim Law is a guy who, you know, can see the field um, in, in situational uh, situational areas. And to me, it starts with the training camp work and it's just the off-season work. And it's a good sign. Am I going to buy the hype? Not just yet. We've heard right. it, obviously, before. What I really want to see is him getting into one-on-one -on -one pass rushing situations. Mm -hmm. Those one-on-one -on -one pass rushing drills, that's something that will truly tell you are, are they trusting him enough, trusting his body enough to put him out there? Because last year he was exempt from them. He didn't really, he got maybe two reps the entirety of camp because they didn't want, they were, they were building him back up. They don't want him to put, to put him in that situation. And so they don't put him in that specific drill. That's what I want to see. I just want to yeah. see, you know, him being available in everything. He's got a full healthy off season. Obviously that's been really a first for Javon Kinlan in his career. So that's the good sign but want to see it put all together before we make a judgment. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And again, like he doesn't have to be the guy anymore. And and that's where I think people kind of forget like he could come in and be a role guy. He's just, we got to see it. And the thing is this, the Niners are not dependent upon him. They were last year. But the in every single offseason and training camp, it's going to happen again this year. It's happened every single year that you've been a Niners fan. Anybody has. They stack injuries at the same position. Last year, going into week one, we had five defensive tackles injured. Five going into week one. Now, 
it's got to be a different position. It was running back two years ago. It was center three years ago. It was tight end. And like, it's just always cornerback. Like, right. We always do this. I don't think it's going to hit the defensive tackles again. And if he could come in and be the number three guy, that's a place where he could be successful. There's a role for that in the NFL. Is he ever going to live up to the number 13 overall pick? I doubt it. But I do think he's getting a second contract. If people want to be like, oh, man, it's a huge bust, whatever else. 11 out of 32 players that were drafted that year with Kinlaw got their fifth-year option You know, picked up. That's a third. A third. Now, we got Kinlaw and Ayuk. Ayuk hit. That's a 50% success rate. Like, we're over the NFL average. And if he gets another second-year contract, the second-term contract, which he will, that account is a comp pick, probably only be a fifth or sixth rounder. But it's the way the Niners have built. It's the way they will continue to build. Has Kinlaw lived up to the hype? Not even close. But it's not like he's a complete wasted player. I don't see it that way. I understand social media does, but the film doesn't say that. Exactly, right? The film doesn't necessarily say that. And so we'll we'll definitely see how the defensive tackle position goes behind the two starters. We've got a lot of reps, uh, or we've got a lot of players that deserve playing time, right? I mean, even guys like T.Y. McGill, who, who uh, got re-signed. We've got a lot of players in that room who deserve playing time. Let's see where Kinlaw fits in the picture. If he can crack the top 10 right now, seems like signs are looking good. Michael Hare here with a question. Anyone on the edge of opposite of Bosa will be a target for opposing teams. I pointed out earlier how, you know, double teams likely go into those three. Bosa, Hargrave, or Ark Armstead. How integral is that opposite position? And what did we learn last year from that position? I think one of the things that I do like with Bill being added is, like, I don't want an every down end. I am find that spot opposite of Bosa to being specialized. You have a run stuffer, you got a pass rusher, and you rotate those guys. You, you've got now you've got two kind of with Robert Bill Jr., Edge out of Georgia, and with Austin Bryant. I, I think those two guys, they're just speed edge rushers. That's all that they have to do. And so then you've got your stud run stuffers, which I think Cleveland Farrell is going to be that. I think Kerry Hyder Jr. can be that. And then you've got Drake Jackson that's kind of your do-it-all guy. He can be a do-it-all guy. We haven't seen it yet, but he can be the way he's built. His athleticism can be. So I just want, like, specialized, man. Like, what what down is it? What's the down in distance? I want that guy out there for certain roles. And so the opposite spots, the biggest question mark on this team, even bigger than right tackle, in my opinion, uh, the defensive end opposite of Bosa, but we've got a pretty damn good defensive line group. Whenever you've got three studs out of four out there, you know, with Armstead, Bosa, and, and Hargrave, you're going to be all right. You, you just need somebody to step up, man. Just somebody take that step. Come on, guys. Man, I agree. It, it's You've got a group of guys. You had two proven guys, obviously, exit the building in Omenihu and Samson Ebucom. Now, I don't know necessarily how high we can place expectations, but you, you hope that there's a rotation that now can step up, just like, you know, Philly. Philly, you're asking younger guys now to fill older guys' role. See some guys here step up. Jackson, who we just talked about among the group. Terror, yeah, yeah, go for it. 
I, I was just going to say, like, you know, one guy we haven't talked about, we've been talking D-line, Kalia Davis, who was drafted right. last year, redshirt year towards <coughs> ACL, like working out in the combine. Who knows where that guy fits in? Uh, I mean, it's got to be the defensive tackle group, but you turned your biggest weakness to start the year into the biggest strength. The number one position on this team is defensive tackle now. And so that, again, when your defensive tackles are better, your end gets an easier job. When your linebackers are great, you know, I, my first, you know, coaching linebackers, the thing I always tell those guys repeatedly, you make the defensive lineman right. You make them right. He can't see behind him. So if he goes wrong, I don't give a damn. You clean up where he misses. And we got Fred Warner and Drake Greenlaw, two of the best in the bunch. I think both are top five backers. You know, Fred Warner's number one. But I'm telling you, Drake Greenlaw, that he played like a top five guy last year, guaranteed. I mean, he was incredible. So if, if you could keep that, there are ways to mitigate and help that position. But, man, what if they don't have to? What if that defensive end opposite Bosa actually steps their game up you get quality snaps there, whoever the hell it's going to be. I want it to be Drake. I think everybody does. But, man, if that happens, this was the number one defense in the NFL by a large margin, points and yards. No reason why they can't do that again or even be better. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. And I think, I mean, overall, like you said, Kalia Davis, he's a guy who I think has got to be on the outlook. And when you look at Kalia Davis, he pro provides you something where you can really test out some versatility. Ark Armstead, you kick him outside. You've got a lot of guys at D-tackle that can play. You've got a lot of guys at D-tackle that have potential that can play. You can kick Ark Armstead outside and utilize one more of those D-tackle guys. And while Armstead, I believe, has said that 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 possibility hasn't been talked about yet, I think as you get along this offseason, understand your depth at D-tackle is stronger than your depth at D-end. So strong, man. Yeah, maybe maybe those conversations come up again. Terradome here brings up how Omenahu Ebicom single single digit sack guys. We want double digit sack guys to complement Bosa. I think that's where you see Armstead and or Hargrave fit in, especially after Hargrave just had double digit sacks on a defensive line where three other players got double digit yeah. sacks as well. Yeah, it's 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 a group, man, that they're going to get there. And, you know, I don't like the sack numbers. You know, that's so hard to replicate the pressures. Right. The, the how like, again, you look at Armstead, his sack numbers were awful. But I remember the the 49ers released their top 10 plays of the year. And I think there were like three defensive plays on there. All three of the defensive plays on there. You had Armstead causing the bad pass that led to the interception or the fumble or whatever else. So like. Sacks, I get it. We we buy into that probably more than we should, but the pressures, the impact plays, the move in the pocket, it's a good unit, man. Oh, it's a good unit. And it starts up front. It has started up front. It's going to, even though we switched defensive coordinators. 49ers defense is going to continue to drive this team. It always will. I mean, that's the thing. It always will. And that leads me to Slick's question here. Do you think they should still sign a veteran free agent you look at the edge market, very talented edge market still. I mean, yeah. the top guys we were talking about two months ago are still the top guys on the board now. And Yannick Ngakwe, Leonard Floyd, I think Robert Quinn might be out there. A lot, a lot of names are out there. What do you think? I think they're going to hold on to their money. They they redid some contracts. They got about $9 million in cap space. I think they sit on that. 
and try to see who comes out in training camp. Now, if nobody steps up or an injury happens to another position, they have the flexibility to trade and or sign one of those guys. But I don't think they're in a rush to. Um, I think they want to see what they got. And if somebody doesn't live up or meet that expectation, then you do that. But the 91 man roster is set because we got that exemption with Alfredo. Uh, but I think they're happy with what they have right now. Could they get better? Yeah, in some positions, sure. Is Yannick Ngakwe better than what we have? Yes, he is. He would cost all of the salary cap. You would lose flexibility in season if you had, you know, a key player get injured. And two, Yannick's pushed himself off of a lot of teams. There's a reason why he's still available. So I don't think they're in a rush to really spend that money, and I don't think they should be because even if they don't spend it this year, guess what? Rolls over for next year, and the Niners have been really good at that. I mean, you you said it right, right? I don't think they're in a rush, and right now I think here's what the 49ers are thinking. You understand where you are as a team. You also want to evaluate the younger guys that you have right now, and I think maybe we see a signing closer to Mandatory minicamp or right after mandatory minicamp. Why? Every guy that the 49ers are targeting, you know what they can do. You've seen what they can do. I don't think they're too worried about the scheme fit uh, coming in after a month or uh, like a month before training camp or near training camp or whatever. But you understand what they can do. Maybe you take this entire offseason, take the two, three weeks to see what your young guys can uh, provide you get a better understanding before you really take a final outlook at what your roster will be in 2023. Well, let me ask you this, Rohan. Let, let's let's stay on this edge position, and let's take some of the top guys out. I want to know, who do you think gets more snaps this year? Uh, let's do Kerry Hyder, Austin Bryant, or Robert Bill Jr., those three edge guys. So Kerry Hyder Jr., Austin Bryant, or Robert Bill, the rookie. Who do you think steps up from the back end of this roster at that defensive end spot? That's an interesting one. Now, at the moment, I do believe Hyder would probably make the roster just because of the depth that we have at the end. Although I want to say Robert Beal Jr., I'm going to go with Hyder at one, Beal at two, Austin Bryant at three. Yeah, I think that hurt Bryant the most when that Beal pick happened because they wanted that clear speed guy. I don't know if they keep two of them. Um, we'll have to see what happens. They might be able to keep Brian on the practice squad, uh, but Bill, yeah. he, 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 you can't cut him. You can't, <laughs> he's not going anywhere. No, no, I agree. I think he's a guy now that that should be locked in. And I wonder whether the 49ers go lighter at D DN this year to absorb the amount of bodies they have at E tackle. Cause they've got, I, I'd say at least six capable guys that can play a D-tackle. And even Kerry Hyder could be viewed as the D-tackle with the way he plays on the inside at times. Yeah, they did that last year. Like, for the past, like, five years, they've kept six defensive ends and five defensive tackles on their active squad. But that switched. A uh, little over halfway down the year, they switched to keeping six defensive tackles and only five defensive ends. Uh, Kerry Hyder was a part of that, but he was playing inside last year because all the injuries. So, like... Yeah, what are they going to do this year? Do they keep five outside, six inside? It seems to suggest if you want the best talent, that's probably what I would do. Now, the question is going to be, all right, who are those five guys? You know, Bosa, all right, Jackson, they're locks no matter what. Cleland's a lock. I want to put Bill as a lock. Hyder, that's your five. That's your five right there. There you go. That's your five. 
Yeah, man. Real quick, as we get to the back end of our show, Teradome brings up a great point here. Partying in Vegas, New Year's Eve. John, I know you do a great amount of work into scheduling trips for the fans. Why don't you give a shout-out, talk about the schedule that you guys have accumulated thus far this year, where are you guys heading on going, and uh, what can 49er fans do to sign up for those trips? Dude, I didn't even ask him to do this. I appreciate you, man. You're the man, Rohan. Um, we've got six trips for the 49ers Rush Road Trip already set aside, working through those details. Tickets will be available tomorrow, okay? So 49ersRushRoadTrip.com. That's all you got to do. Just go there. Tomorrow they're going to be up. Um, we've got six trips already planned. So week one at Pittsburgh, we're doing week five home against the Cowboys. You know I'm going to be at every Cowboys-Niners game. Um, week 7, Monday Night Football at Minnesota. We've got Week 10, Jacksonville, going all the way down there November 12th. We're doing the, the Thanksgiving game, Seattle, at Seattle on Thanksgiving. We're doing a whole Thanksgiving tailgate. We're going to be your family if you're away. The wife and kid, I'm bringing them with me for that one. Um, and then at Arizona, Week 15. I'm super pumped about that one. Arizona didn't get a game last year. Um, and so th those chapters were the Arizona party is going to be huge. So those are the six games, Pittsburgh, Dallas, Vikings, Jacksonville, Seattle, and Arizona. Uh, that's what we got. We'll add some more, but I want to start there. We'll build that out. 40 hours, rush road trip.com tailgates night before parties. We got you come party with us. Have a good time. You heard it here. Obviously, it's a great time whenever John and all organize their trips. I mean, it's a fun tailgate. It's just a fun experience the whole weekend of. So be sure to go check out 49ersRoadTrip.com, uh, 49ersRushRoadTrip.com, that is, tomorrow. I think that, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of different ways to interact with the 49er Nation. One of the best opportunities here is with John's trip. And they're all family friendly. That's like the number exactly. one, which is so difficult because you talk to these bars like, hey, I want to rent out your bar Saturday night during one of the most busy times of the year. But also I want kids in there. And usually that's where the conversation ends. But I believe in building the fan base and community. These are all family friendly events. We're going to have stuff for kids available at all these spots. We're going to have a good time, and we want you to be able to bring – it's a comfortable atmosphere. We're not rowdy, but we have a great time. So come check us out. Come check us out. No, I, I, I definitely agree. And to wrap today's show up, i got to talk about the draft because I don't think we've talked about the draft yet, uh, us two. And so overall, let's just, let's just talk about the class overall. What did you take away from our 2023 NFL draft? They looked at it like – they wanted to build depth at some key positions where they lacked depth. And probably my favorite thing about this draft is the evolution of Shanahan and the type of players they're getting. I think that's most evident at the tight end position. I didn't like the Cameron Law to pick at all. I really didn't. Um, but I think what it demonstrates is they've constantly gone after these superior blockers, Charlie Warner, um, Dwelly, what it, Croft even fit into that. I know the last play of the season, everybody going to talk about that, but Croft is above average blockers entire career at the tight end position. So these bigger bodied blocker type guys and tried to mold them into receivers, receiving tight ends. It hasn't worked. Hasn't worked. So they completely just about faced. And you go get this guy, Cameron Lawtu, that was the worst graded blocking tight end out of the entire drafted tight ends. But He's got willingness, but the thing that 
stands out about him, amazing hands, finds the soft spot in zones consistently, and is kind of a project raw player that was converted from defensive end. So I like the evolution. Not a lot of playing time for these rookies, maybe Jair Brown, but still he's going to need an injury to kind of see the field. I don't think he could beat out Tayshawn Gibson. Jimmy Ward couldn't beat out Tayshawn Gibson. So I, I doubt Jair Brown does that. I don't think they really want him to. I think they want him to learn and step in. He's the biggest impact player. The kicker pick, that gets a lot of publicity. I think it's a misuse of resources, but the Niners needed a kicker. And so they got one. Uh, they paid for him. The second highest drafted kicker in the past decade. Uh, so he's going to have to be pretty dang good to live up to that. But yeah, depth area, that's kind of what they did. I agree. I mean, when you look at the initial ones, Jair Brown was a guy on my list. He was a guy who was on my draft list. I was looking at safeties in the in the area that I would select Two of the safeties that I had high on my board went as I expected. One in the second round in Jartavius Martin, another in the early third round in Sidney Brown to the Eagles. That third guy that I was really eyeing when I was doing drafts and all that kind of different work was obviously Jair Brown. And I was like, is he going to make it to 99? That's the big question because a lot of times I had to trade up to get my guy, and I was envisioning a trade up to get Jair Brown more so. They did it. They got their guy. I think he's going to be a good fit, and I think he works well within this system for a variety of reasons, which we'll see in 2024, but maybe even in 2023, understanding these three safety packages um, that could allow for a little more aggression under Steve Wilkes. And so Jair Brown, I like that pick. The next two picks, not so much. I'll talk about Jake Moody. I mean, you talked about Cam Latu. I think he's a fine blocker because he's he's, he's willing to do so. But overall, when you look at tight ends and the success rate that they've had, a lot of the success to, to, to really mold into strong tight ends comes from good athleticism, good uh, good work after the catch, and, I mean, solid hands, right? And I don't necessarily think uh, having proven hands is the most necessary. You saw George Kittle come out. Great athlete, a willing blocker, and a guy who had potential as a pass catcher. I was looking for a guy who could not necessarily be George Kittle, but be a guy who could develop into a tight end number one. I don't think Cam Latu has that potential for me. Right now, he's an all right blocker. His hands have an issue. You have an 11.1% drop rate, but he's not the best athlete. He's strong, just not the best athlete. I don't think that pans out well when you don't necessarily have the best hands not the best athleticism, and not the best blocking. I think this is an average pick all around the board. Yeah. And I think that the 49ers might want that. Obviously, as a tight end, too, that might fit in well. But as a guy for the future, I don't necessarily think Cam Latu's that guy. I thought that there were – I looked yesterday. The four tight ends drafted after Cam Latu, I think I would have taken each of the four <laughs> tight ends after. And the worst part is when you look at the board, the 49ers overdrafted at 99 or at 101. The next tight end was at 147, Josh Wiley to the Indianapolis. I love I love Josh Wiley, man. And it happened a whole round after. You could have waited on the tight end position. And I don't buy that you couldn't have traded out of the pick when the first three or four picks in the fourth round got traded for significant value. The Eagles traded up into the fourth round, the early fourth round, to select, I believe, Tyler Steen. And they traded a third-round pick in 2024 to do so. There was value to do so in that early third round. That's why I'm not too big of a fan of the pick, not only because of the player, but because also you reached um, for the third consecutive year. 
you reached on a player in the third round. Uh, two running backs the years before. And then obviously Jake Moody. It's just high. I, I didn't like the value for it. I understand why, why they, they might have done it. Don't like the reasoning. And as for the fact that the Patriots drafted the kicker 20 picks later, I think they also reached. You, you, that's the, if, if there was I a agree. Moody, 100%. that's the second highest that you've ever drafted. For those two picks to pan out, you've got to be top five kickers in the NFL. And I think that the learning curve from the NCAA to the NFL, it's deep. Moody. You look at his career average of an 82%. I know he had a really good, really good 2021 at, I think it was like 92%. You look at his career average of 82%, you pin that to the NFL, that's a bottom 10 mark. Overall, I think there's just insurmountable expectations for Jake Moody coming in immediately. If he cracks them, great. That's a solid pick. That's what everybody wants. But obviously, it's a tough one. It's a tough one for me. Yeah, and everybody's like, well, what if, you know, what if he's Justin Tucker? And I'm like, well, Justin Tucker is an undrafted free agent. And, yeah, if he is Justin Tucker, like, that would be awesome. Would you be getting value? No. It's Justin Tucker or you lost. Like, and so that's rough. I hope he answers the call. I see Sid in the chat talk about Money Moody. I, I love it. And I hope that he excels, and I hope he's the kicker for the de- next decade. That's what the Niners need. Um, and that would be awesome. I hope that's what it comes to about. But the funny thing is, like, I think this pick was dictated by the last pick that they used on a, on the punter, the fourth right. rounder on Mitch Wisnowski, who can't do kickoffs because he just doesn't have the leg. So I think you lost gold because gold's, you know, 40 plus. He don't want to do kickoffs. He's tiny. He hates it. He doesn't have the leg to do touchbacks very well either. So you kind of pigeonhole yourself based on the last punter pick now i think mitch was a borderline top seven punter last year um was he deserving of the second contract i think he was this year it was his best year by far but it took him four years three years to be good to be average i think mitch was below average first three years so the previous pick was a crazy reach that forced you your hand even more so here Hopefully, Moody and Mitch are here for the long haul. I like both of them as people. I like their personalities. I like who they are. It's just, man, the Niners just invested so much there. Whenever other teams are trading up for, like you said, starting right tackles, starting corners, starting wide receivers, it's rough. It's it's a misuse of funds, but we got to see how it plans out. And Shanahan and Lynch have built up enough credit to get by with this. Just because I'm critical or you're critical doesn't mean we Absolutely. don't like the player or whatever Absolutely. else. It's just it's okay to be critical of certain things. Doesn't mean I don't love this team or you know the front office. I think they're better than almost anybody else in the NFL, but it's a head scratcher. No, I agree. And I mean, this doesn't take away from my thoughts on either of the two or the way that the rest of this draft panned out. I liked a lot of the rest of the draft. It's just you've got to talk about these two picks here because obviously they're the headliners when you start in the third yeah. round and i thought they went one for three right now in the third round just based on talent and i i i do think that it's tough and it's funny somebody asked me at least it wasn't a running back i would have drafted roshan johnson at 90 oh, at, at 99 don't talk to me Jeff about Woody. my boy roshan man i love I mean, that i know hook him horse there I would have drafted Roshan Johnson at 99 over Jake Moody and that's saying something oh. understanding the the value at running oh. back there just thought he's, I mean, that's just one example of a better prospect, in my opinion, at the board there. You know what's crazy, and I will say this, is next year the 49ers will have three picks before the 87 pick. 
Um, now, depending on where the 49ers fit, but where we originally were slated 99, 101, 102, we'll have four picks before where we were slated to draft first last year. So yeah. it, this questioning of third-round picks it would be a lot different if you had like an offensive tackle draft in the second round or a corner draft in the first round or whatever, these premium positions. And, and again, it's pretty easy to be critical of third-round picks. Uh, there's a reason why they're third-round players is because every team already passed on them at least twice. And so they're, they're flawed prospects by nature. doesn't mean they can't be great. Look at Brock Purdy. But, yeah, next year is going to be fun. I, I'm very excited about all the draft capital this team has in the future. Oh, yeah, man. I, I think next year is going to be fun. And next year, I mean, we get a scout fully. It's the first time we'll get a first-round pick. Obviously, no second-round pick. We'll wait and see what happens there. Or, no, no, no. We do have a second, right, next year? We yes, do have we a do. second because of the McCaffrey trade was this year. Mm-hmm. And so we'll have a full arsenal of picks. And that's, I mean... And this is also not taken away from the third rounders that we're expected to grab with the two, I believe, from the coaching staff with D'Amico getting one. Uh, you'll get one for um, the back end of the last cycle. And then you'll also get one for uh, Jimmy Garoppolo gets canceled, but you'll get one for Mike McClinchy. So you should Correct. get three more third round picks next year. It's alongside awesome. a boatload of picks later on. Gosh, man, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. But, John, it's been a great talk. We talked about the quarterbacks, talked about the schedule, talked about the draft, talked about the the recent players that have shined in the media. So it's been a fun, fun show. Any last thoughts before we head on out today? Yeah, man, Rohan, you're the best, dude. I always enjoy our times. You're really good at what you do. Um, the one thing I do want to just put out there for uh, my audience, we do have a Zoom hangout tonight for all our Patreon members. Uh, we've got our watch party for the 49ers first Cowboys 1994 game. Uh, we're going to ah. be getting together 5.30 p.m. tonight. Uh, I'm about to go make the post right after I'm done here. And remember, 49ersRushRoadTrip.com. Tickets available tomorrow. No, definitely. Go ahead. Check that out. All the Patreon members. If you're not subscribed to John Patreon, you've got a chance to do that before tonight. I mean, he puts out a lot of good content there as well, I'm sure. And a lot of people appreciate those film film reviews. So, John, appreciate your work. Obviously, appreciate your time coming on today. For those of you guys on John's channel, check out the description. Make sure to sign, uh, subscribe to my channel as well. Really appreciate the support. We'll be back very soon. But if that's all, see you guys next time.